Welcome to SciShow Tangents. It's the lightly competitive science knowledge showcase. I'm your host, Hank Green. And joining me this week, as always, is science expert, Sari Riley. Hello. And our resident everyman, Sam Schultz. I don't think you've ever said hello and welcome to SciShow Tangents in the five or whatever years we've done this. What do I usually say? Just hello. <laughs> right? I feel like it says hello and welcome every time. It's in the script. I think I feel like it I is? say hello and welcome yeah. every time. <laughs> this feels new to me. Anyway, sorry. Hi. That's how hello I start, and I start welcome. Dear Hank and- <laughs> <laughs> Y'all, we're all tired. Sari's had a stressful but exciting week. Sam did not sleep well last night. I also got beat up by a child while he was sleeping. <laughs> I want to know. What's your go-to blanket? I have it in this room. Yeah, I also have my blanket. It's very old. Oh, is yours yellow too, Sam? Mine's orange. Sam's looks very fuzzy. These are just like the crappy Target blankets you can get. Sorry, Target. I love these blankets. You want to sponsor the show with these blankets? <laughs> this is also but a Target blanket. Like... Oh, wow. <laughs> it's like soft knit, but the, the best thing about this blanket is that you can put it over your head and it's porous enough that you can still breathe. Um, so you can That's immerse yourself nice. in the darkness yeah. or your sad mm-hmm. cave or your calm. Yeah. I can't do a knit blanket. It's too many holes. Makes me too cold. Too many, I feel like it's too many holes. I feel like that's like a not a Montana choice to have a knit blanket. Yeah. True. Mine is, is a gray blanket that was purchased for me by the YouTuber Johnny Harris after I did him a favor of some kind, which is <laughs> weird. And it's in our house. It's called the conversation blanket. Because it's the blanket that you get in with somebody when you need to have a conversation with them. What the heck? What does that mean? <laughs> is it like you need to be comforted by something while you have a hard conversation? Or yeah, is it like it's like it's like, Oren, we need to talk about this thing that happened at school. Uh, and he's like, I'll go get the conversation blanket. <laughs> Did he name it that or was it that before? Yeah, him? he named it that. <laughs> oh, poor little guy. <laughs> <laughs> Oh. oh, it's a very good blanket. I should send you guys this blanket because you have done many favors for me. And I only did one favor for Johnny Harris. Did he know it was a good blanket when he sent it to you? Or Oh, yeah. He's blanket? like, this is the blanket I get for everybody who does me a favor. And I was like, wow. that's weird. Wow. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. You're stealing his signature move. I, I To be clear, that's I would true. love this blanket. It is blanket. a good move. Do not not send it. <laughs> but you are kind of encroaching on Johnny Harris's uh, yeah, thing that yeah. he's carefully established for himself. Yeah, because yeah. someday you guys are going to do a favor for Johnny Harris and he's going to send you a blanket <laughs> and you're going to be like, eh, that's nice and everything. No. I already have What's that What's going to happen is that someday he's going to do a favor for someone else. They're going to send him the blanket mm. and then they're going to say, Hank Green taught me, how, taught me about this blanket and he sends it <laughs> to everyone. And then he'll be so mad. Let's just make, yeah. <laughs> He's gonna, I'm going to ruin his move. You could buy the blanket company, print your face on every blanket, and it still say, like, <laughs> you're welcome. <laughs> DFTBA is exclusively blankets now. Mm-hmm. It's blanket of the month. You'll have how, your house will be filled up with blankets before you know and it. I, no, I only <laughs> no. It's different. I only sell to one guy. I have one client, <laughs> Johnny. You don't see <laughs> name is Johnny. Sideshow <laughs> Tangents is brought to you by Rocket Money. If I asked you how many subscription services you had, you think you could name them all? 
And before you just start naming streaming apps, remember that basically everything has a subscription these days. Video games, dating apps, food delivery apps. It's a subscription service world. We're just living in it. And with all of these subscriptions, it can feel like money is just flying out of your account. And that, frankly, sucks. But Rocket Money can help. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money can help you negotiate to lower some bills for you by up to 20%. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in total canceled subscriptions. Escape from the planet of the subscription services and stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash tangents. That's rocketmoney.com slash tangents. Rocketmoney.com slash T-A-N-G-E-N-T-S. <laughs> Every week here on SciShow Tangents, we get together to try to one-up, amaze, and delight each other with science facts while also trying to stay on topic. Our panelists are playing for glory and for Hank Bucks, which I will be awarding as we play. At the end of the episode, one of these two People will be crowned the winner. What were you going to call us? <laughs> I don't know. Oh. <laughs> now, as always, we're going to introduce this week's topic with a traditional science poem. This week, oh my gosh, it's from me. I hear a lot that the dinosaurs died and then they got <laughs> slept over with mud and slime down into the earth where it bubbled and boiled until many years later they became the oil. The goopy black glop that we slurp with propriety and then burn, burn, burn it to fuel our society. Black gold, Texas tea, petrol for you, gas to me. But that's not really <laughs> what happened. It was mostly plant matter. The dinosaurs were way too dispersed and scattered. But oil isn't just that stuff. Oh, no. At first, it was anything you'd light for a glow. Squish an olive or corn, sunflower or peanut. Cook with it, clean with it, do what you want. You can burn all these oils, but you can only eat some. They're different, it's clear, <laughs> but in some ways they're one, some chemical ways with long carbon chains, whether it comes from a drill or from grains. It powers our cars, it powers our bodies, it powers the most peculiar of hobbies. So wonderful <laughs> that we just can't get enough. But what is it then? This wonderful, terrible, powerful stuff. Sorry, what's oh, oil? That was great. That was really good. You had so many oh, rhymes. It was Susian in a way, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. a lot of rhymes. I've kind of gotten, yeah, stuck into a particular scheme. It's based on children's books is where I got, is where I got that. Susian. <laughs> like, read, you read a, I used to read a lot of those. You know, I'm reading less children's books now, uh, oh, which no. is terrible and very sad. That's because sad, yeah. Reads by himself. He's like, I just want to read my book by myself. This is a conversation blanket for one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Me and the book. <laughs> Sari, what, what is oil? I mean, you kind of defined it. it, it is, I don't know that I did. Well, <laughs> you defined it in its many, many forms. I, I don't think oil is a precise word as much as it has a, a vaguely chemical definition. I feel like we use the word oil for any number of liquids that you can burn. <laughs> yeah, that you can burn that are and and like they're more or less flammable too. Like mm -hmm. they're usually smooth and sticky and slippery right. and Cuz like alcohol will burn but th that's that's not oil because it's not thick. And and it's not is alcohol insoluble in water or it like mixes with no, water easily. You, it yeah. mixes with water. So alcohol yeah. mixes with water. Oils generally are immiscible or insoluble in water. 
they mix with other oils or like other organic solvents, but, but not polar water. They they mix with Mm -hmm. non-polar substances. They're mostly like chemically speaking, they're mostly hydrocarbons, which are molecules with a carbon chain. So carbon atoms that are connected to each other. And then a bunch of hydrogen atoms sticking off of those carbons. Sometimes there are other additives in there. You throw in an oxygen, you throw in a silicon, um, things like that. But but largely, like those hydrocarbons are the base of a lot of oils. But these descriptions apply to food oils, animal and vegetable oils, fuel oils like petroleum, mineral oils, which are actually just oh right, mineral oils. I forgot about those. I'm over here trying to figure out what the hell mineral oils are. What is a mineral oil? So it's it's again like an imprecise definition yeah. so that i think they were called mineral oils to juxtapose them with like animal and vegetable oils so there's the, ah. the categories in 20 questions you've got animals <laughs> yeah. vegetables and minerals <laughs> so, uh-huh. and, and so they say mineral oils are oils that come from rocks but oils that come from rocks are just petroleum derivatives they're still organic molecules they're still made of carbon and hydrogen but because we extracted them from rock then we categorize them under mineral oil. And mineral oils Mm. are, even though they're made of the same organic molecules as food oils, they aren't digestible by us. Um, Sometimes they can be toxic depending on what the additives are in there. But it's just like another category as part Mm. of that. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. If I freeze an oil, is it still an oil? I mean, that's a good question because is butter an oil? Butter is not an oil. Wax isn't an oil. The wax is different chemically. This is a one where I, I, my brain says there's probably like a chemical molecular definition of this, and there's not. It's just sort of like, yeah, it's nonpolar and it's carbon chains and it's and it's slippery. I feel like slippery, slippery. is such a big important part of it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the lubricant. Yeah. yeah, we have skin oils. It makes our skin slippery. Could if I collected enough of my skin oil, could I put it in a genie lamp and burn it? With a wick, mm, probably. Yes, the answer is yes. yes. I'm almost certain. That I am I could. also almost. <laughs> I was thinking of the the worst, <clears throat> somehow worst version of that question is: Could you fry an egg with it? Uh, <laughs> just pour a bunch. And of And the answer to that is also yes. Yeah, I think yeah. it's also. You could totally do that. Could I form it into a candle and light it and burn? And yeah, maybe. These are all great new P for A perks that you're coming up. With. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's like Shrek's little candle ear. Yeah, his ear thing. candle. Pull, mm-hmm. Pulls it out. Oh, yeah. Shrek did that. Yeah, that was, we're not the first people to think of this. The word oil sounds interesting to me. I would love to know where it came from. The English word oil is from the, the French word because uh, they French love to make things fancy. And oil sounds like a very fancy word where you kind of mm-hmm. mush all the, the letters together. Um, it's from the Latin word oleum, which comes from a Greek word that sounds basically the same that meant olive oil. Um, oh, specifically, yeah. okay. like okay. olive was related to the word uh, elia, I think is how you would say it, uh, which means like olive tree or olive fruit. So the first hmm. oil that we talked about was specifically olive oil. And then from there, it broadened to other types of oily substances. That's super interesting because, yeah. of course, I th- like, the fr- like when you say oil, the first thing I think of is... The ground oil, crude yeah. oil. So petroleum, oleum is in there. The, the Latin yeah. word oleum is in there. And so petra means rock and oleum means oil. Ah! And so petroleum just means rock. 
it's mineral Rock oil again. Uh, <laughs> yeah. All right, you guys. That means it's time to move on to the quiz portion of our show. And would you believe that it's happening again? It's the gauntlet. The gauntlet. Yes. Let's see what the rules are this time. <laughs> are y'all are y'all ready to learn about the gauntlet again? The rules are an entire page long. <laughs> no, they're not. <laughs> they're not, but they're not, it's not far off. Okay, so we're going to have a series of seven questions of decreasing difficulty. I will be directing the questions to you from one to, to seven, uh, asking just one at a time, and you can choose to answer or pass. If you answer and are correct, you get the points of the question number. So if it's the t- the first question, you get seven points. Question six gets you six points. If you're wrong, you'll lose that amount of points and your opponent can steal for that same point. But if they're wrong, they don't lose any points. Why? Don't ask questions. If your opponent attempts to steal the question and gets it wrong, the question will be off the table for future rounds. If you pass, your opponent will get asked the next question, which is a little less difficult. After we have gone through all the questions, we will revisit any past questions, only this time they can't be skipped. You, uh, if you get the answer wrong, your opponents can steal from you. And remember to pay attention to all the questions because you might get some clues to help you out with those harder questions. Today, the gauntlet will not just be a game, but a tour through the history oh. of that oh. most hallowed of ingredients <laughs> in American cuisine. What'd you say? I thought maybe you were going to say we would die if we lost <laughs> yeah. or something. It's not I don't just know. a game. It's a yeah. lifestyle. It's a song. <laughs> no, it's a tour of, of a hallowed American ingredient, Crisco. Oh, okay. Is Crisco even an oil? <laughs> we don't know for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Sam, this first question is for you. Crisco was launched in 1911, and it quickly became popular as the first solid shortening made entirely from a liquid plant oil. However, the company that made Crisco didn't actually state what that plant was in their advertising. What plant is Crisco made from? Oh, no. I have to pass, I think. I think that's the right call. I'm not going to try to steal because that will knock out the question for the future. And I got you want to save that. Yeah. You want to yes. save that for the future and see if it, see if it comes back. You get a hint, maybe. Mm-hmm. All right, question number six for Sari. Today, Crisco is manufactured and sold by a company called B&G Foods, but they aren't the original manufacturers of Crisco. What was the original company that made and sold Crisco? Hint, you have heard of this company. Um, I'm going to pass, I think. Okay. Yes. Ah, I'm going to pass too. Okay. You don't lose points if you, if you get it I on know, the pickup. I know, I know, I know. All right. Sam, question number five. Shortly after the release of Crisco, the manufacturers published a book called The Story of Crisco, which was (laughs) written by Marion Harris Neal. The book contained 250 tested recipes, as well as a brief explanation of, quote, the Crisco process, the chemical technique that allowed for a liquid oil to be turned into a solid fat. What is the technical term underlying the Crisco process? Ah. I wasn't going to pass just to make it interesting, but now I got it because I have no idea. And I bet Sari knows. Yeah, yes. It's a, it's a chemistry term. Uh, it's, it's hydrogenation. Right? Hydrogenation is the right answer. Hey, we have our first know. points of the gauntlet <laughs> awarded. Wow. 
<laughs> love, love that. <laughs> this is the best I've ever wow. done. This is the most points I've ever had in a gauntlet. <laughs> I can really sense your excitement from here. <laughs> so hydrogenation is when you add hydrogen atoms across double bonds, uh, and it takes those double bonds and it turns them into single bonds. And that turns liquids into solids when it comes to these long chains. The 19th century scientist Paul Sabatier uncovered uh, the mm. process that could make hydro- do hydrogenation. Other scientists have adapted that over the years. And it became Crisco due to the fact that the result didn't uh, need refrigeration and could be stored for quite a while, unlike other solid fats. Question number four, Sarah, you get this one as well. Instead of describing the ingredients of Crisco, the story of Crisco contains the incredible uh, line, Crisco is Crisco and nothing else. Uh. (laughs) (laughs) That's kind of scary. It it also describes Crisco as, quote, a strictly vegetable product. So just so we're clear, we didn't put any animals in this thing, even though it was not made from a vegetable. At the time, companies weren't required to disclose an ingredients list with their food. That changed with the passage of the Fair Packaging and Labeling Act in uh, what decade was that act enacted? Mm, okay, I'm, now I've got five whole points. I can afford to lose some. All right. The 70s? That's Uh-oh. not right. God. I'm so scared. I don't lose points. <laughs> I'm going to guess it was like, I don't think it could have been the 60s because they didn't give a shit about anything in the 60s. Did they? But could it have been the 80s? It was the 80s. It was the 60s! Oh, <laughs> darn it. It was passed uh, in 1967. Or it was passed in 1966 and mm. it was enacted in 1967 under our good old friend Lyndon B. Johnson just so that we have the information we need to be able to decide between products so it, uh, products don't say things like, Crisco is Crisco. <laughs> and nothing else. <laughs> we promise. <laughs> I was just trying to imagine like Don Draper reading the back of a package and seeing what the ingredients were. And I couldn't couldn't picture yeah. it. He'd be so mad yeah. if he were he to look at the back of a package and see the ingredients, I think. Would he be a, a mad man, maybe? He'd be a mad man. Yeah. He'd be a, a madman. The regulatory capture is what exactly. he'd shake his fist and say. That's what the dads all say. Regulatory capture. That's what my dad says all the time. <laughs> all right. <laughs> uh, it's Sam's turn to try and get this one right. Crisco ended up replacing lard in many households for a variety of reasons, like the fact that it had a more neutral flavor and could accommodate more dietary restrictions. And a few years before Crisco burst onto the scene, the author Upton Sinclair published a fictional novel detailing the horrors of the meatpacking industry. Do you know the name of that book? I do. It's called The Jungle. (gasps) Nice. Coming in with that non-science knowledge, (laughs) Sam Schultz, our everyman. I know a little bit about the arts. Very little. (laughs) But I learned this in high school. It includes a a scene featuring vats of lard and the men who cooked them, who sometimes fell into the vats. The whole point was to gross people out, and Upton Sinclair was very effective. His book was part of a broader movement that triggered public outcry about conditions in the marketplace, and that led to the passage of the Food and Drugs Act, which uh, prohibited the sale of food and drugs that are misbranded or adulterated. Hooray! Good job, Upton Sinclair. Yeah, the regulatory capture continues. (laughs) Yeah, it does. Sari, 
If you look at Crisco's website today, their page for the, quote, all vegetable shortening product uh, describes it as the original classic blue no pantry can do without. But a quick look at the ingredients list shows that there are two oils, neither of which are the original oil. Can you name the two? Mm -hmm. My mom used Crisco so much. Uh, (laughs) Canola oil, sunflower oil. This is how you get into trouble in this game. Oh, no. Because neither of those are correct. <laughs> oh, neither. Jeez. I would have given for one. I'll uh, give you it for one. I don't know any other oils. It's not. It couldn't be like olive oil and coconut oil. That sounds disgusting. Is that right? <laughs> no. No, Absolutely it's not. not. That can't be. It is uh, soybean oil and palm oil. Oh, hmm. that makes sense. Neutral. Yeah. I wasn't thinking neutral mm-hmm. enough. All right, Sam, we're at the bottom of the gauntlet. In 1920, the United States Supreme Court handed down a decision on the case of Procter & Gamble versus the Brown Company. The makers of Crisco uh, had sued the Brown Company for producing a shortening product through a similar hydrogenation product or process. What is the name for the exclusive right over an invention? Is it? Having the patent for it? Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you got it. Uh, their product was called Cream Crisp, both with a K. Um, <laughs> ew. <laughs> ew. 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 Uh, and they ended up selling their 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 patent to Procter and Gamble uh, due to the cost of the case, possibly. I kind of like it. <laughs> the crisp is confusing. Yeah. Well, I guess because you fry stuff. Oh, you crisp the stuff up in the cream. Yeah. Yeah. <gasps> Don't say that. Sari, remember that Crisco was launched in 1911 and it was not made of, <laughs> of palm or soybean oil, but it was made of an oil that's not a vegetable oil. Can you tell me what it is? <sighs> I mean, I guess it is a vegetable oil, but it's not an oil from a vegetable. Not an oil from a vegetable. Well, there's some, um, I'm going to guess sunflower again. No. What is it like? seeds are there? Is it like flax seed? That's closer. Cotton seed. Oh, I should have oh, just cotton. said cotton. I'm so stupid. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cotton seed oil, which turns out is an edible oil. It's just uh, you don't think about it that much. No. Um, cotton seeds had been moved from being considered a sort of side product of car- cotton harvesting to an ingredient that could be used for stuff. Uh, and after chemists developed techniques to make the smell and color more appealing to consumers, it started happening a lot more. And companies had made large substitutes that used cottonseed oil mixed with animal fats before, but now they were just going to do it all cottonseed oil. All right, Sam, mm-hmm. Crisco is manufactured by a company. Procter and & Gamble. That's right. Procter & Gamble. I listened to that one too, but I didn't ah, get that question. You didn't get it. <laughs> And that's it, I think. I think that we, yeah, that's it. What is the score? <laughs> I don't know. It's going to be, this is looking good for Sam. The score is Hanks opening up the thing. And it's, oh my God, it's <laughs> Sam at 10 and Sari at negative eight. Next up, we're going to take a short break and then it'll be time for the fact off, during which time Sari needs to bring her A game. <laughs> (laughs) 
SciShow Tangents is brought to you by Shopify. Hank, when you started your career as (laughs) the internet science man, was opening an online store something that you were really thinking that hard about or something you thought you'd do in a billion years? I was uh, making a shop before I was the internet science man. Oh, what? That was the first thing I did. I was that first. Wow, I got to learn my Hank history. How did that go for you? <laughs> Good. I'll, here's what I'll tell you. Like the 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 part where we start selling a thing and you get to see the number go up is so exciting. And uh, when it's just like you uh, by yourself, you got to be careful. But luckily, <laughs> yeah, Shopify yeah. has all kinds of little tools to help you with that. To help you with increasing conversions, to help you with managing orders, with customer support, with all of the stuff. Uh, because it's a, you know, I don't know. It feels like the industry standard. And so there are all kinds of plugins that you can use to make your Shopify work for you in particular. That's right. Shopify is a global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from vlogging in your parents' basement to treading the boards of Carnegie Hall. Now, it was my first... basement. It was my <laughs> basement of my own home okay. that I was renting, the downstairs okay. of. <laughs> if you say so. From your first sale to your one millionth, Shopify is here to help you grow. And they've got a proven track record, my friends. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. and powers entrepreneurs in 175 countries. They have, as Hank mentioned, the Internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And they have award-winning customer service because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. You can sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tangents, all lowercase tangents. Go to shopify.com slash tangents now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash T-A-N-G-E-N-T-S, all lowercase. SciShow Tangents is brought to you by Manukora Honey. Merriam-Webster defines honey as a sweet, viscid material elaborated out of nectar of flowers in the honey sack of various bees. And that's all good and fine, but old Miriam and Webster (laughs) used some words that I don't know and didn't really hit the mark when it comes to talking about Manukora honey. First off, Manukora isn't just sweet and viscid. It's got a rich, complex taste and a creamy melt-in-your-mouth texture that you won't find in your average, everyday grocery store honey. And nectar of flowers doesn't cut it when you're talking about the nectar of the Manuka tea tree in New Zealand. The only nectar these bees feed on in the production of Manukora honey. In conclusion, Manukora ain't just your average boring dictionary-defined honey. It's special honey. I know this firsthand. Uh, They sent us a jar, a squeeze bottle, and some honey sticks, and we've been sharing them around the office of their MGO 850+, their best-selling honey. It's not the same. (laughs) It's not (laughs) what you're thinking of when you think of honey. Look, have you ever think to yourself, if like, a company made grapes for the first time, we'd go nuts. It's, I feel like honey is this way, where I'm like, if anybody like made this up, we'd be going out of our minds. But this is like if honey happened again. Did you like the honey, Sari? So I moved into a new place where there's no insulation in the walls. And so uh, I've been drinking a lot of tea. And mm-hmm. sometimes that tea needs a little bit of honey. And I initially poured in this honey thinking it was going to be grocery store honey. And then I was like, that's different. And now it's a little uh, breakfast treat. 
It's a great breakfast treat because it's 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 a little like it's for toast. I could put like this on my butter toast and I'm like, ooh, I'm having an experience. So Merriam-Webster also defines ultimate as the best or most extreme of its kind. Now that one fits Manukora to a T. Indulge in the best or most extreme sweet viscid material elaborated out of nectar of flowers and the honey sack of various bees from Manukora. If you head to manukora.com slash tangents, you can get $25 off their starter kit, which comes with the MG850 plus Manuka honey, a free travel pack of honey sticks, a free wooden spoon, and also a free guidebook. That's manukora.com slash tangents to get $25 off your starter kit. All right, everybody, now it's time to get ready for the fact off. Our panelists have brought science facts to present in an attempt to blow my mind. And after they have presented their facts, I will judge them and award Hank Bucks any way I see fit. But to decide who goes first, I have a question for the two of you. The price of olive oil has gone up this past year due to dry weather in the Mediterranean, leading to intense droughts that have reduced the production of olive oil. And with the increases in olive oil prices, thieves have been stealing from oil mills. On August 30th, about 50,000 liters of extra virgin olive oil was stolen from a Spanish oil mill. About how much is that volume of olive oil worth in dollars? Uh, a $20, $20 per liter? Is that expen- That's expensive for all, but this is fancy olive oil. This is extra virgin olive oil, if it's legit. So 20 <laughs> times 50,000 is a million dollars. Million dollars of oil. One million dollars. I'll guess uh, $500,000. The answer is Sam's just killing it today. $450,000. Oil expert. (laughs) He didn't even have to do math because Sari did all the hard work for him. (laughs) Thank you, Sari. According to the numbers I have, Sam won. So you get to go first. All right. Just to give you a little peek behind the curtain, sometimes Sari will throw me a few leads for the fact off that she didn't use. My cheating continues. Uh, And that happened this week. (laughs) One of her leads was, quote, a guy in Missouri was hired to stop dust storms and did it by dumping motor oil everywhere. So now it's a super fun site. While this lead is technically true, uh, it really undersold what a horrible nightmare this event actually was. And I'll tell you about it now. So Times Beach, Missouri was a small, middle, lower class town, 17 miles outside of St. Louis. By the 1970s, many of the roads in Times Beach were still dirt because the city couldn't afford to pave them. And they had a big dust problem as a result. But there was this, this guy in Missouri named Russell Bliss, who was seemingly renowned for his dust suppression abilities. Though he was a waste oil disposal specialist by trade, he also owned a horse arena, and he had taken to spraying his waste oil around his property, which would keep it dust-free for months. He had performed the service for other horse owners uh, around the state, and in 1971, he was hired by Times Beach to spray down their dusty dirt roads. But what the people of Times Beach didn't know was that several of the horse stables Bliss sprayed down at at those horse stables. Within days, birds were dropping dead, horses were developing lesions and losing hair, and the people who lived in and around the horse stables were getting nosebleeds, headaches, diarrhea, stuff like that. It got so bad that many of the stables had to scrape off all of the sprayed topsoil. So the CDC got involved with this pretty quickly, and they found traces of dioxins in the soil. Um, And dioxins are a group of extremely toxic chemicals that are often the byproduct of industrial processes. So they make 
living things super sick. They cause cancer, developmental issues, immune system damage, stuff like that. And they stick around for a really long time. And then what the CDC figured out from there was that Bliss had gotten a contract to dispose of dioxins from a Missouri-based factory Mm. that produced Agent Orange, the extremely terrible herbicide. (laughs) Used by the United States in the Vietnam War in an effort to thin out the jungles in Vietnam uh, and a byproduct of making that terrible stuff is the also terrible dioxin. So Bliss had been taking the barrels of dioxin, mixing them with his waste oil, and then going around the state spraying dusty places with this combination to get rid of both of them at the same time. So the CDC did a little bit of cleanup related to the stable topsoil in 1974 and 75, but it doesn't seem like they looked into where else Bliss sprayed the oil too much. And nobody did until 1979 when the EPA started to investigate the Agent Orange factory. And they came up with a report of several locations that were contaminated, but they didn't do anything with that list until a public interest group leaked it to the press and the press got involved. And on that list was Times Beach. So basically, the FDA was forced by public pressure to go start testing Times Beach. And guess what? It was heavily contaminated even after a decade a decade after the spray treatment. Uh, And the town was on a floodplain and it flooded regularly. So every time the water would rise, the contaminants would spread farther and farther and get into the water. Uh, By the end of all the testing, it turned out that Times Beach had 50% of the total dioxin waste in the entire state. So it accounted for half of the waste just in this one town. Uh, In 1982, the CDC declared that Times Beach was uninhabitable and the whole town was bought for $36.7 million. Wow. 2,000 residents had to leave their homes and Times Beach became one of the most toxic sites in the country. And it, along with a couple other disasters from around the same time, were what spurred the creation of the Superfund Environmental Remediation Program. So then the legal ramifications for Bliss and this Agent Orange factory were basically nothing because they did everything that they did before there were any regulations on dumping mm. hazardous waste. Uh, but on the slightly plus side, in 1997, the cleanup was officially completed, and today it's a beautiful state park. But the people still can't live there. They all lost their houses. The yeah. town just doesn't exist anymore. That doesn't happen that often where people, where you just like straight up don't, like a town just stops existing. That was Terry's fun fact for me. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I I knew it was bad, and then you started texting me about how bad it was. Oh, ooh. When I got to the Agent Orange part, I was like, "What the? Oh, heck? come on! They were doing some <laughs> stuff in the seventies. Sheesh! I mean, to to get a contract to dispose of dioxin and then be like, I know what I'll do. I'll put it on the area that is most dusty, and the actual problem I'm attempting to solve is that the it blows up into the air a lot. Yeah, he pretty much messed up the whole state. I think it like there were sites all over the whole state that were like this. Times Beach. I tried to find to find Times Beach, but I couldn't. Now it's the Route 66, the Route 66 National Park or something like that. State Park. Yeah, I feel like I still wouldn't go there. Well, you know what? I'm from Butte. And that's the largest Superfund site in the country. <laughs> and it's true. It's they true. built a they built a, a beautiful baseball diamond right over all the toxic waste, and it's fine. And I'm fine, and Tuna's fine, and everybody. That's right. Fine. Everybody's fine. Yeah. Who isn't still underground? All right, Sarah, what do you got? <laughs> so, <laughs> my first sentence is: human-made oil spills are extremely rough on the environment, uh, which <laughs> you know. Uh, I think we learned that. Um, And whether the petroleum 
So specifically speaking about like petroleum spills, is crude oil or refined in some way? These mixtures of hydrocarbons can be toxic to all kinds of living things, and they are hard to clean up. But in my very basic understanding, there are two main parts to this cleanup process. So one part of this is trying to contain the spill, so keeping it from seeping into the ground or spreading too far in the ocean. And the second is to try and soak up the oil so that it can be removed from the environment and either retransported, like squeeze outing, squeezing out water from a rag um, or trashed or something. I'm not going to talk about land oil spills right now, but the removal process for ocean spills is tricky in its specific way because you either need to sort of skim the oil off the surface because like we're talking about water and oil are don't mix, um, or you need to get something that will soak up the petroleum, but not too much water. And there are, of course, material scientists mm. working on polymers that can either absorb with a B, which is soaking the oil inside, kind of like a sponge, or adsorb with a D, which is grabbing onto oil molecules with a surface, kind of like mm. a duster, like one of those swift mm. things. But other researchers are looking towards materials that already exist that do one of these two things, like peat moss or sawdust. And it turns out that we have some really fantastic cleanup materials in our trash cans and shower drains. Human hair. Oh, uh, hey. so each strand <laughs> of human hair, I hate, I, hate I, I shed so much of it and I hate the texture of human hair, um, but oh, it's super valuable um, because each strand has a few layers. The inner ones, like the cortex, are where the pigment sits, while the outer layer called the cuticle is made of overlapping mm. dead cells that are kind of like scales made of proteins like keratin and some lipids. And most importantly for this fact, the cuticle of the hair is really water repellent, but it is really good at adsorbing oils. So that's adsorbing with a D, the surface grabbing thing. And both the oils that our bodies naturally produce and petroleum floating in a body of water. So the idea to use hair to clean up oil spills apparently traces back to an Alabama hairdresser who was watching TV in 1989, and he saw an otter whose fur got covered in oil in the Exxon Valdez spill in Alaska's Prince William Sound. So he did an experiment. He gathered a bunch of hair from his salon into some pantyhose and then put that uh, little boom with some used motor oil into a kiddie pool in his backyard and then just watched as the hair soaked it all up. I mean, did oh, he yeah. have some idea that that was going to work or was he just... Uh, he saw the otter. He saw the just otter. Thinking. He was like... Well, I guess the otter was really sucked up the oil. Okay. Yeah. It's like that otter did. Okay. So... I have all this extra hair. I'm just going to give it a shot. <laughs> this is how the story was reported in like a, a science direct, like NASA press release. So who knows? Could be editorialized. Could have gone through a lot more steps. So we then worked with NASA researchers at the Marshall Space Flight Center in Huntsville, Alabama, to investigate and test on this system further. And from what I could tell, they started publishing those results in 1998. And now, like in 2015 and 2020, um, there are studies investigating like different textures of human hair and their adsorbency or even different animals like human uh -huh. hair versus dog fur. And by and large, it seems like human hair is just as or more effective than other synthetic polymers or natural materials like moss or sheep wool or duck feathers that have been tested for oil spill cleanup. It's more environmentally friendly because hair is often just trashed anyway. So you're reusing that waste product and it's globally available wherever there are people. From what I can tell, this is where I'm speculating a little bit more. I guess the downside is that we don't necessarily have huge public uh, pipelines for hair or like receptacles <laughs> for them. So you see it pop up in some news articles about environmental disasters and people like using human hair for cleanup. 
but I don't think it's made the cut for disaster response toolkits because we don't have a way of like mobilizing hair salons in the same way uh, right. that we do of like hmm. telling material scientists to synthesize a bunch of a polymer. I feel like we could mobilize the yeah. hair people. There yeah. must be so much haircut every day, like a ridiculous amount of haircut every day. I guess it's like, how do you get it from the salon? Like, you can't make it cost money. Ideally, they get paid a little bit to, for their work, but you can't make it like, okay, you now walk to the post office with your bag of hair. Yeah. That, you, can't, <laughs> you can't do that. There's got to be a price. Like, there's, there is an amount that the hair is worth. I just think it's probably very low. And also contingent upon the oils, there being oil spills, which we don't want. That true. Like the best solution is no oil spills to move away yeah. from petroleum based power. Yeah, that'd be great. Or like, you know how the United States has cheese caves or like storage space for a bunch yeah. of things? Like, what if we just, we just had the strategic hair reserves? Yes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then, and then we like do a really good job of converting to, to renewable energy. Yeah. And then, <laughs> 30 years from now, 50 years from now, they're making YouTube videos like, Do you, would you believe that the United States government has a hair cave? <laughs> Sarah, do they have to do anything to the hair to make it good at it? Do they have to like take the oils that are in there right now out to make it even better? Well, you got to tie it together. You got to make it into like a mat or a big pantyhose or something. Fill yeah. some pantyhose with it. Yeah. 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 All right. Well, that really changes. That changes things for me. I think it doesn't change things for me. Sam's going <laughs> to run away with it because yeah. you have a big deficit to make up. <laughs> that first game has to matter at least a little bit, right? I agree. But they were both very good facts. And I strongly am in favor of doing good things for the environment. Um, but I guess both of those things did result ultimately in good things yeah. for the environment. Creating some strong regulations. Regulatory capture. <laughs> what is, I got to look it up after this <laughs> podcast. <laughs> All right. Well, that means we have to rapidly move on to the to Ask the Science Couch, where we ask a listener question to our couch of finely honed scientific minds. Critter Keeper on Discord asks, what makes a fat trans, saturated, monosaturated, polyunsaturated, and why does that matter for our health? Great question. Mm. Is this just buzzwords? I mean, they are. These are all actually chemical words, and okay. they do matter for your health. Saturated means that they have that they're is it that they're saturated with hydrogens, and so there are no double bonds. Is that what it means? Yes. Yeah. So if if you if you have if you have a double bond, then there's like an area where there isn't a hydrogen because you're bonded to carbon instead of being bonded to hydrogen, and so it's not saturated with hydrogens anymore. And there are many different ways. So if there's multiple, then it's then it's polyunsaturated. And there's also trans and cis unsaturated, where it depends on where the the hydrogen gets added, and that can make the fat either sort of like have a double bond but still be straight, or have a double bond and be kinked. Um, and the kinked ones, I think, are the are, are are like what you do in hydrogenation, where you make Crisco, because that makes they like stick to each other more. And that makes it more of a solid fat instead of a liquid oil. And that's worse for you, I think, because it like they goop up inside of your blood vessels, maybe. How'd I do, Sari? <laughs> <laughs> you did pretty good given that you were not prepared to answer this question and like call back to your chemistry knowledge. Yeah. So yeah, saturated is saturated with hydrogen atoms. Unsaturated means um, there's a double bond, at least one. 
that is making it so that there isn't the maximum number of hydrogen atoms that could be bonded to those carbon atoms in the, in the molecule. Cis and trans are a little bit harder to picture unless you're familiar with molecular structures. The best way to think about it is like, so the double bond, if you imagine it as a line, the cis double bond means things are sticking up in the same direction. The trans double bond means that the, like the sides of the molecule on the, on the sides of the double bond are like opposite of each other, kind of like Mm -hmm. sticking up and down. And cis unsaturated fats, um, keep the fatty acids from packing tightly together. So the cis um, unsaturated fats are liquid at room temperature. Mm -hmm. And then the trans unsaturated fats are the ones that can pack more tightly together and become a solid. And so typically saturated fats are animal fats, solid at room temperature. Unsaturated fats are usually vegetable fats, liquid at room temperature. And then trans fats are what happens when you perform some chemical reactions on those liquid vegetable oils um, and turn them into a solid like Crisco. So chemically, that's what's going on. And then the nutrition-wise, we said we're going to do this part fast. Um, (laughs) And I guess I can say I am not a nutritionist and I'm scared of nutrition (laughs) because there's so much misinformation, right? Um, the nutrition literature particularly is so dominated by trends of the time and food industry, um, funded studies. And Mm -hmm. there, there are studies that say fats are bad and and proteins are bad or like sugars are bad and things like that. But to explain like a little bit of the biochemistry, the main ways that we ingest fats in food, um, are fatty acids, which are just these chains that can be saturated or unsaturated, You can ingest them as like long-chain fatty acids, short-chain fatty acids, things like that in food. Or these fatty acids can be joined together in groups of three um, in in molecules called triglycerides, which Mm. are um, often in like animals or plant oils or other fats. It is also how our bodies store unused calories. Um, And we have triglycerides that um, get stored in our fatty tissues and also float around our bloodstreams. And then the third kind of like oil related, fat related compound in our bodies is cholesterol, um, which is used in lots of different ways. It's needed to make vitamin D. It's a like hormone related to hormones, building hormones. It's used to build cells. It's like very, very important. Um, and your liver and intestines make most of the cholesterol that you need in your body, but some of it can come from the foods you eat as well. And so all of this to say is that when you eat food, you eat fatty foods, if you eat oily foods, you get, you ingest fatty acids, triglycerides, cholesterol, and that can change the amount of how much stuff is like floating around in your bloodstream. Hmm. And a lot of what I found is that we don't know exactly why that is the case. Um, So we are, we are worried and we have seen people who ingest a lot large amounts of fatty acids, particularly saturated fats, trans fats, um, and a lot of cholesterol, who then have plaque buildups, like fatty buildups mm-hmm. in their blood vessels, which then makes it harder to pump blood, which then can lead to um, hardening of your arteries or like heart attacks or, or cardiovascular problems. And so that's why people are like, limit, limit your cholesterol, limit, limit your triglycerides and things like that. So something about eating too much 
messes with the balance of how your body has evolved to regulate itself. And that's why. But there isn't, I don't think it's as, like a lot of the food articles on the internet are like, don't eat this because it's bad. Yeah. Don't eat that. And, and a lot of that is like, listen to your own doctor, eat balanced meals. <laughs> and like, uh, I think it's, I think it's over reductive to be like one specific type of oil or fat yeah. is bad hmm. um, because there are all these interconnected systems um, at play. That. <laughs> <laughs> it's also uh i even if i knew what was healthy i have no confidence in my ability to act upon that knowledge <laughs> yep i'm not smoking cigarettes and i feel great like that's like <laughs> wow good job me that's fantastic like you yeah. really you really hit it out of the park we know that one's bad and you're not doing that so there's a- that if you want to ask the science couch your question you can follow us on twitter at scishow tangents where we'll tweet out topics for upcoming episodes every week or you can join the SciShow Tangents Patreon and ask us on our Discord. Thank you to Jacob on Discord and at Cass Helm on Twitter and everybody else who asked us your questions for this episode. If you like this show and you want to help us out, it's very easy to do that. First, you can go to patreon.com slash scishowtangents and become a patron and get access to things like our newsletter and our bonus episodes. Shout out to patron Les Aker for their support. Second, you can leave us a review wherever you listen. We love to read them, and it helps us uh, helps people find the show. And finally, if you want to show your love for SciShow Tangents, just tell people, people about us. us. Thank you for joining us. I've been Hank Green. I've been Sari Riley. And I've been Sam Schultz. SciShow Tangents is created by all of us and produced by Jess Stempert. Our associate producer is Eve Schmidt. Our editor is Seth Glixman. Our story editor is Alex Billow. Our social media organizer is Julia Buzz-Bazayo. Our editorial assistant is Tabuki Chakravarty. Our sound design is by Joseph Luna Medish. Our executive producers are Nicole Sweeney and me, Hank Green. And of course, we could not make any of this without our patrons on Patreon. Thank you. And remember, the mind is not a vessel to be filled the fire to be lighted. But one more thing. When you need some help getting the poop out of your intestines, a.k.a. pooping, laxatives can help in lots of different ways. Some soften your poop by adding water to them. Some stimulate your intestinal muscles. Some lubricate your insides to make everything nice and slippery. Specifically, eating or enemaing a dose of mineral oil, which is an indigestible petroleum derivative that you should not be cooking with, can create a slip and slide through and out of your intestines. Just a little fun fact from us. <laughs> <laughs> if it's really slippery in there, it'll just shoot right out. <laughs>